Huckabee. Congressman Brent Hill battles for religious freedom. The man of a thousand voices, Rich Little, speaks up. And the incomparable Darlene Check performs. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you very much. What a great audience we've got here tonight. I'm so glad they came, and I'm glad you're watching with us tonight. And boy, what a week this has been. President Trump had his second summit with North Korea's Kim Jong-un. Congress has been grilling the admitted and convicted liar Michael Cohen. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu was indicted by his political enemies in Israel. And Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez declared herself the boss and she pushed for a guaranteed minimum income for everyone. And yet, there's another issue from this week that's bigger than any of those, but I'm gonna save it for last. So, like the song by the great American diplomat, Kenny Rogers, you gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away when the dealing's done. Well, President Trump walked away from his meeting with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un and headed back to Washington without signing an agreement. I don't know if you noticed this, but the same critics who predicted that he would sign away America's security then condemned him for not signing away America's security. <laughs> hey, the left may be irrational, but at least they are consistently irrational. <laughs> I, I've said for some time that getting a true verifiable denuclearization deal is not gonna be a single event. It's gonna be a process. And this was another step in the process. But what the leader of the hermit kingdom now realizes is that President Trump will not agree to something just to claim a victory unless it's a good plan for the rest of the world. Now the people who couldn't give him credit for getting up from the table and demonstrating resolve probably would have maybe referred that he just delivered big pallets of green U.S. cash to the tune of billions of U.S. dollars in unrestricted money and then let North Korea keep its nuclear program. We've seen that before. <laughs> also this week, a surreal congressional hearing involved Michael Cohen, the admitted and convicted liar and former lawyer for Donald Trump. He admitted to and was convicted of lying to Congress. Now let that sink in. So they invite him back so he can lie about his lies. <laughs> I mean, trusting him to come tell the truth is like trusting Jussie Smollett to outfit your kids for Halloween costumes, okay? <laughs> this audience is not sure they get that one. <laughs> Maybe they are afraid to admit that they do. And then in Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been charged with corruption crimes by his political enemies in the Israeli justice system just days before the Israeli elections. Now, if you think there are people out to get our president, just know that the far left in Israel hates their prime minister as much as our press and far left hate our president. Oh, and by the way, New York freshman Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez made some more news this week by declaring herself to be the boss now, the boss of what? We aren't sure. <laughs> but she has advocated guaranteeing everyone a minimum income. My question is, why a minimum? Come on, Congresswoman, let's go for a maximum. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to give away money, let's do it big, huh? I mean, why guarantee $20,000 a year? Let's make it $40,000 or $75,000. Or heck, let's just make everyone in America a millionaire. Hand it out. Why not? Yeah, the audience understood that one for sure. <laughs> but the issue that has the potential of the greatest impact, not just politically, but culturally and morally, 
is the failure of the U.S. Senate to pass a bill by Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska that simply said that if a baby survived an attempted abortion and was born alive, the doctor present would render aid and try to save the baby's life. That bill failed. Let that sink in. People elected to make our laws refuse to pass a law that would have required treating a living, breathing baby with at least the same respect that we demand of treating a cat, a dog, or a sea turtle. And one of the senators who voted against it said, it wasn't good for women's reproductive health. That's a lie. Because when the baby's born, the woman has already reproduced. And there is nothing healthy about killing the baby. And the woman is no longer even physically connected to the baby. So why do I say that this was the most important issue? Because if we as a country and a culture cannot and will not try to save a crying baby that has survived one attempt to kill it, and then we allow the attending doctor to kill it instead of save it, and frankly, none of these other issues really matter. Because we won't have to wait the 12 years the radical greenies say we have before we become human toast because of global warming. You see, I believe God may pull the plug on us himself. And as it was in the time of Noah, he may just simply say, that's enough. And I mean, who could blame him? By the way, when God has enough of this, his version of a global warming ain't going to be pretty. With Democrats competing to think up some new ways to spend other people's money, like yours, thank goodness there are a few people left in D.C. with some fiscal sanity, like my first guest, an expert on business, economics, and banking. He serves on the House Committee on Financial Services, and he's a former official in the Treasury Department under President Bush 41. Would you please welcome my friend, Arkansas Congressman French Hill. Thank you so much, French, for being here. Uh, let's talk about something that is near and dear to your heart. You've been really passionate about this. This February marked the fourth anniversary of the murder of 21 martyred Coptic Christians by ISIS in Libya. We don't hear a lot about this. While that was horrifying and that was at the hands of ISIS in Egypt, which uh, the word Coptic means Egypt. So it's the original people with St. Mark's, uh, St. Mark founded uh, the church there in the, in the, in the uh, Nile Delta. And so I want the Coptic Christians to be treated with respect, human dignity, and follow the rule of law in Egypt like the Muslim Egyptians, like the non-Coptic Egyptians. And that's why I'm working so hard on this issue. Are, are things getting better in Egypt? I mean, President al-Sisi seems to uh, have done at least significant gestures towards showing respect for Christians that has, has not happened before. Yes, he's done the right things in the Coptic Church in terms of he's gone to Mass with the Coptic Pope. He's built a new beautiful Coptic cathedral. But down through that country in the rural areas, cops are still treated with great harm and discrimination. And, and I want to see those crimes punished. Uh, you've been a banker, economist. You've, you've done things all over the financial spectrum. When you see people like Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez say that we all need a guaranteed income, as an economist and as a person who spent your life in finance, your reaction to that? I try not to react to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I've never seen uh, more nonsense served up than I have in the last couple of months by the Democrats. And she's at the forefront of it. The dignity of work, the dignity of creating your own place, your own entrepreneurship, saving money, investing money, building a better life for yourself and your family, that's the American dream. And we have freed billions in this world from poverty, uh, from hunger, from war, from famine. Why? Because of the benefits of capitalism. You and Congresswoman Ann Wagner of uh, Missouri, who's a great friend and, and I love her to death, both of you have been very passionate. You introduced a bill in the House. It was a companion bill to the one that uh, Senator Sass introduced yes. in the yep. Senate. The Born Alive bill, basically saying that if a child survives an abortion, this doesn't restrict the abortion, but if a child survives it, 
This child is now outside the womb, no longer connected to the mother. The doctor has to render aid. And it did not pass in the Senate. What is wrong with people in Congress who cannot pass that bill? Americans were repulsed by the Virginia statute and New York statute. Mm, yes. They just couldn't believe uh, their eyes uh, or what they heard from the governors of those two states, the celebrations that uh, a life can be taken that uh, is born as the result of a botched abortion. So Senator Sass, Ann Wagner, uh, uh, Steve Scalise, have in, we've introduced legislation to simply say, if that baby is born alive as a result of a botched abortion, they get the same care and treatment that a baby that was born that was wanted. There's nothing complicated about that. And what we've seen as a result, a national conversation, which is expressing outrage that it would be any other way. And so perhaps this terrible result in New York and Virginia has God's purpose at hand. 25 years ago, you were working in the Treasury Department for the Bush administration. You go back as a congressman a few years ago. What's the big difference you see in the Washington you left in the early 90s and the one you went back to just a few years ago? Everybody's older. Well, <laughs> <laughs> boy, that's profound. <laughs> no, I would say um, the, uh, the sense, the, the parties are a little bit more separate. Uh, there are more uh, strong districts in each party. So there's a little less working together uh, uh, among the members of Congress and the Senate, number one. Number two, the executive branch is much more powerful. Article one, 50% of the words in the Constitution are Article one, the congressional uh, branch, the legislative branch. And it has been demoted by the power of the administrative state in Washington. Uh, and so that is a, a problem. And then we don't get our appropriations bills done. Yeah. And if you don't do appropriations on time, you can't hold people accountable, which is again, the number one mission that we have in the uh, House and the Senate. It, it's a, a joy to watch you. Uh, not every congressman I feel so good about, but you, I do. And I thank you so, Appreciate it so much, very much. Good to see you. Thank, thank you. you. Now, you. we hope that you can inject some fiscal sanity into a house that's gone wild. <laughs> and by the way, you can keep up with all the news from my guest at his official website, hill.house.gov. That's hill.house.gov. Also, follow him on Twitter at Rep French Hill. It's right there on your screen. All right, Keith, why don't you tell us some other things we have coming up on the show tonight? Oh, I can't wait. Coming up, the plot to kill George Washington. Legendary comedian Rich Little. Mike breaks down the facts of the matter. Plus, the music and writings of Darlene Chang. More Huckabee in 60 seconds. You know my next guest from the History Channel and his best-selling thrillers such as The Escape Artist. His latest is a true life thriller, and it's ripped from the hidden files of history. It's called The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington. Please welcome its author, Brad Meltzer. Brad, great to have you, and uh, I'm curious your motivation to tell this story that I I've never heard before. I found it nearly a decade ago in the footnotes of all places. And it said, a secret plot to kill George Washington. And I was like, is that real? Is that fake? What is it? And it was real. In 1776, there was a secret plot to kill George Washington. When George Washington found out about it, he gathered up those responsible. He built a gallows. He took one of the main co-conspirators and he hanged him in front of 20,000 people. It was the largest public execution at that point in North American history. And I just became obsessed with this story. And I said, oh my gosh, I have to dig into this. I need to know more about it. And I need to know, most important, why does nobody know this story? What was it that drove those uh, really, I, I guess you could say, traitors to do this to him? Yeah, no, what happened was is George Washington had his own personal bodyguards. And they, he'd asked all of his top military leaders, said, give me your four best men. And George Washington himself narrowed it down from those four best from every regiment to about 50 people. And they were the best of the best. They called them the general's guards. They called them the commander's guards. But the name that stuck were the lifeguards because part of their job was to guard George Washington's life. And these were the men who turned on George Washington. In 1776, the time, you know, we think we're divided today. Back then in New York City, there were nearly as many loyalists on the British side 
as there were patriots on the American side. So we were a completely divided country. Our own military was divided. We had our own regiments fighting with each other. One of my favorite moments is George Washington rides in, sees his regiments fighting with each other, and leaps off his horse and grabs him and says, what are you doing? You're on the same team. And if ever there were a metaphor for where we are today as a culture, but I love that when you read this book, you don't just get to see the plot against George Washington, but you also get to see the depth of his character. Speaking of his character, what were the characteristics of George Washington that stick out for you as the defining virtues? The thing that I find most amazing is his humility, his modesty. One of the first things he does when he takes control of our military is he buys books on how to be a better commander, how to strategize against the British. It's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. But the moment that got to me was this one. It's in the Battle of Brooklyn, you'll see it in the book. It's one of the first great battles of the Revolutionary War in 1776, the British invade. And we don't win the day, we get our butts kicked. George Washington gets out generaled. He doesn't have the experience that the British generals have. And in that moment, George Washington is pinned down. He's got the British in front of him. He's got the East River behind him. There's no way to run. This should be the moment where George Washington dies. But instead, he does the best thing he always does. He adapts. And in the middle of the night, he plans a daring escape. But here's the key moment. What he does is they commandeer every boat along the East River. And as the fog comes in, he slowly puts his men on the boat one by one to get them to safety. But the vital moment is this one is George Washington himself won't get on any of the boats until he makes sure that all of his men, highest, even the lowest ranking ones, are safely away first. And they see him risking his life for their lives. And it's thanks to the men like George Washington that we get to sit here, of course, today. Brad, you wrote a remarkable piece in USA Today about a visit that you had with former President George H.W. Bush. It was not long before uh, he had passed away. I want you to tell us a little about that visit because I found it just uh, awe-inspiring. Yeah, this is one of the most amazing moments of my life. You know, President Bush was a dear friend of mine as well as Barbara Bush. And I found that they were asking President Bush's favorite authors to come in and read to him. And I was honored to be asked. I said, of course, I'd be honored to do it. And as I walk into his office, there's a stack of books on his desk. And one of them is my book, The First Conspiracy. And I said, sir, you want to read this one? He says, mm-hmm, because he wasn't talking much. It was mm-hmm and nodding. But I get to the part, that part of the Declaration we all know. I read those words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And in that moment, President Bush's eyes open wide, and he locks on me. It's like the words of the Declaration itself are lifeblood to him. And he pops awake just like a laser focus. And we get to the end of the chapter. I say, sir, you want to do another? Mm-hmm. We do another. You want to do another? Mm-hmm. And another. Mm-hmm. Instead of 10 minutes with him, I was there for a full hour reading with him wide awake and aware of everything. And, you know, I got to say goodbye to him. And I can tell you that to be able to read about our first president to, at that point, our oldest living president was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. And when he passed away, I was at the funeral. And the word that struck me that kept jumping out of everyone's tributes was this word, decency decency. You know, I've done a lot of interviews for this book, and I've gone to, you know, friends of Fox News and gone to over to CNN also. And the one thing that every side agrees on is that's what we need more of in this country today, is we need more decency. The way we talk to each other, we need to be decent people, like President Bush. Uh, decency and modesty would certainly apply, as it did with George Washington. Brad, thanks so much. Great to have you here. The First Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill George Washington. It's at Amazon, all major booksellers, and bradmeltzer.com. It's right there on your screen. Okay, Keith, why don't you tell us what else we have coming up tonight? Well, next, Mike brings the humorous side of the news, and the great Rich Little is here. Later, discover America's only theological variety show, and Darlene Check performs. More Huckabee is on the way. And welcome back. Well, from space-age chickens to dogs who shoot their owners, we've got the news that'll make you howl on a segment that we like to call In Case You Well, you know, people have become healthier and more particular in their dining habits these days. 
organic, cage-free, and all natural. Those are the buzz terms today. But how do you know if your chicken really did grow up cage-free in a positive environment? And how do you know that he was emotionally stable before he landed on your table? I mean, you could end up with an angry Attila the Hen type, right? <laughs> I want to tell you the answer. It's GPS, baby. <laughs> Food historian Robin Metcalf from the University of Texas says that once a chicken has its own GPS tracker, quote, people who potentially will buy that chicken will know every step that chicken has taken. Not to belittle the noble chicken, but I'm sure there are hens all across America saying, with this technology, we're running out of cluck. <laughs> Apparently, though, this is a response to the farm-to-table movement. Now, not to egg these people on, <laughs> but I feel like it's the start of a reality show. Young, fit, and nubile chickens all performing to end up on the plate of a worthy diner. I mean, it's kind of like The Bachelor or a chick flick. We can call it The Hatchelor. How's that? It's getting cold in here. All right, our second story. We have a lot of fun on In Case You Missed It, but right now, I need to address a little naked truth. We all love the thrill of a roller coaster ride, but how many times have you thought, man, this would be so much more fun if I could just ride it in the buff? Come on, audience, show of hands. How many of you would think that's fun? <laughs> Keith, what about you, huh? Trey, Ben? Oh, absolutely, that's what I've lived for. If they said yes, they'll never be back on this show, I'm telling you now. <laughs> well, there are at least 103 people in England who feel this way, and they're attempting to break the Guinness World Record of people riding a roller coaster together naked. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. How cheeky of them. The world record has stood for almost a decade, but I guess these folks are about to end that streak. <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah. Well, I just hope that you don't see what they do there. I mean, the thriller than usual ride is taking place at Blackpool Pleasure Beach in England, appropriately named Pleasure Beach. Okay, kids, hide your eyes. No one needs to see that many wrinkles, dinkles, kibbles, and bits defying gravity all at one time. But I mean, who would want to ride that ride after those folks did it, unless you could give a good cleaning of the coaster? The current record, by the way, was set by 102 people in their birthday suits at the South End on Sea in Essex, England. Of course it was at the South End. I mean, I guess if it's a roller coaster that goes upside down, we would say it was bottoms up. Our next story is Dateline Berlin. Now, we've all heard about the dog that bites man's story through the years, but over in Deutschland, there was a dog that's taken his anger up a notch as the dog managed to pull the trigger on a loaded rifle when it was lying in his car. If I were that dog, I'd apply for the gun license and hunter's permit. He's obviously a better shot than his owner. Well, a shout out to Al and Jackie in Montrose, Colorado, and their grandson. He's an 11-year-old who made a list of the things that he wanted to do with his grandparents while visiting. Now, as you can see, look at the screen real closely. Watching the Huckabee Show on TBN is right up there with swimming, milking the goats, and feeding the ducks, just to name a few. I say that's one smart grandchild, Al and Jackie. And a shout out to this other guy for deciding that man buns were just not hipster enough. It's his he-hive. Well, I say, he-hive, he-hive. No. Well, like a GPS track chicken who just met their new owners, we've run out of time. But always remember that we read the news. Well, if you just had some fun with that segment, you ain't even had fun yet because my next guest is truly a living legend of comedy. He is a perfect example of why you want to come see the show live here in Nashville. And if you're a baby boomer, you grew up watching him on every single channel. 
And he pretty much lived on the Tonight Show couch because he was there so often. I want you to welcome back to our show the undisputed king of celebrity impressions, the legendary Mr. Rich Little. I'm still alive. <laughs> Boy, are you ever. I got to tell you, the only thing that was more exciting about having you on the show about a year ago is having you back. I've never had so much fun in my life, and just the joy of meeting you has been well, a thank thrill you. for me. I am delighted to be back. I found out that you were actually enlisted to do the voices of very famous actors who couldn't fulfill their lines in movies. Tell That's us about right. that. That's right. I, I've, uh, I did um, Peter Sellers for a couple of uh, Pink Panther movies when he passed away, and David Niven had lost his voice, he got Lou Gehrig's disease, uh. and uh, he could hardly talk at all, and I dubbed him for a couple of uh, Pink Panther movies. I did Tony Curtis uh, for a movie he walked off of, and after I did it, he phoned me up on the phone. He said, Rich, did you, did you go and dub for me in that picture? I said, yes, I did, Tony. Did they pay you? I said, yeah. Well, you owe half of it to me. <laughs> now. Many of us have remembered all these impressions through the years, but you're still doing impressions of people that are right out there in the news every day today. Yeah, yeah, my act is not totally deceased, you know. <laughs> I mean, uh, no, it isn't. But I, I do some, uh, I do Dr. Phil. Let's hear that one. Dr. I know, <laughs> I know that, that you know that I know. <laughs> and if you knew that, then, then we both would know if we knew it all when we knew it. <laughs> Robert De Niro, is he one of I yours? don't do Robert De Niro, really, because uh, he's a liberal. Um, <laughs> and, and they have nothing to say. <laughs> but I do uh, Mark Stein. Yeah, Mark Stein. Thanks a lot, Tucker. <laughs> thanks a lot, Tucker. And then Tucker Cal Carlson is, uh, hey, thanks for coming on. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. This is my impression of uh, Tucker Carlson listening to somebody. <laughs> uh, here's my impression of Tucker Carlson laughing. <laughs> Do you have a favorite of all the years? I mean, you've done probably well, Ronald Reagan of is my favorite of all time. Of all the people I've known, and uh, he was just an incredible man with a great sense of humor. And when you were talking to Ronald Reagan, he gave you his full attention. Hmm. He never took his eyes off you. He never looked away. He was just concentrated on you. And I was always, always impressed with that. And I realized years later that the reason was he couldn't hear. <laughs> he, he was reading your lips. He was reading your lips. Uh. He would read lips, because I don't think he had much hearing at all. What? <laughs> but, you know, if, if, if Ronald Reagan was alive today and he was doing that famous Berlin speech, he would probably say, Miss Pelosi, build that wall. <laughs> Some of the classic actors, and, and some of these are characters that have outlived their own lifetimes. I mean, Jimmy Cagney, John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. You did Jimmy Stewart, I understand, one time for a tribute to him, so much so that you dubbed in his voice for a town. Is that, did that happen? Well, let's see. Um, uh, Indiana, Pennsylvania is where he's from. And I did some recordings that they played on the street corner telling people when to walk and, and when the light was going to change and all that. And I did it as Jimmy Stewart. So how would Jimmy Stewart tell us when to walk and... What I'd, I'd just say, I'm, I'm, what, hold, hold on, the, 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 the light is red. <laughs> and um, I, you, 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 you can cross in a few minutes, but 
um, uh, uh, Harvey wants to cross right now. <laughs> Rich, did, did you ever make someone mad and you did an impression of them and they were offended or didn't like it? Has that ever happened? Oh, yeah. Paul Lind. You remember on Hollywood oh, yeah. Squares? Yeah. And every time I did them, the looks I got from him, you wouldn't believe. Um, and he, you know, the camera would, <laughs> would go from me to him for a reaction and he'd go, How's he doing? <laughs> Who's that? I'll get a day job. That's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> we all know who it was. <laughs> One of the great thrills of my career is the people I've met hmm. and worked with. I, I was so saddened to see that um, Carol Channing passed away. Mm. She was an icon. Uh. Carol, Carol Shining. <laughs> you know, if a diamond, if a diamond is a girl's best friend <laughs> and a dog is a man's best friend, well, who do you think is the smarter set? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were talking about how, what a joy it is to be on, around people that you idolize. And I got to tell you something, having you on this show, getting to meet you and just... Be able to be in oh, your presence. Please. Let me tell you something. For guys like me, it is one of the great honors of my life. Rich Little, thank you. Well, you know, you. I, I, in thank a way, you. I'm glad you didn't become president because I wouldn't be here tonight. Well, that's true. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me of how yeah. that turned out. But you know something? <laughs> uh, Rich Little, everybody, give him a big hand. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> All right, Keith, why don't you tell everybody how they can see Rich Little in person. If I can catch my breath. If you want to experience an incredible evening in entertainment, go, go, go see this man live and in person. He's at the Tropicana in Vegas, and tickets are at troplv.com. That's troplv.com. Be sure and get them in advance of your trip so you don't miss out. And visit therichlittle.com to enjoy Rich Little's comedic genius online. Coming up, Mike brings us the facts of the matter. Go backstage at Nashville's Token Show. Then worship leader Darlene Jack shares stories and songs on Huckabee. The scriptures tell us to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress. Now, when you join the mission of Samaritan's Purse, that is exactly what you accomplish right here at home as well as all around the globe. Every gift, whether it's large or small, heals lives and it fills broken hearts with the love of God. I hope you'll give them a call or you can visit the Samaritan's Purse website right now. I give regularly to help others through their work and I hope you will as well because their efforts to serve in Jesus' name, I promise, will not disappoint you. You can be proud of what you give through Samaritan's Purse. Well, as we noted at the top of the show, this was one busy and a bit crazy week in the news. We're going to take a little time to break things down to the issues that matter to us on a segment we call The Facts of the Matter. Well, from the pages of MikeHuckabee.com, where you can find out the real story on breaking issues 24-7, comes the latest expose from James O'Keefe's Project Veritas, an important and shocking story. But it won't come as a surprise to most conservatives who post anything on social media sites. Now, here's some key thoughts from the lengthy Project Veritas article that I want to encourage you to read in total. First, a former Facebook employee and whistleblower explains how leftist moderators inside Facebook have the power to create false accusations against users they disagree with. Second, they take down the pages of those conservatives without even notifying the users that it's been done. One of their actual excuses for doing this is a violation defined as, quote, showing nonpartisan people blunt truths to convert them to their viewpoint, end quote. Convincing people to agree with you by telling them the truth? Well, I mean, we can't have that on the internet, no. Well, this suppressing of conservative voices on major social media sites like Facebook and Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, means that nonpartisan public forums is now a serious censorship problem. And it's got to be remedied, and remedied now. 
Fox News host Tucker Carlson noted that the recent silencing of various highly followed conservatives is a test run for the 2020 election. You see, in 2016, Donald Trump used social media to go around the corrupted mainstream media in order to reach citizens directly without the news media filter. Many of the Silicon Valley social justice warriors seem determined not to let that happen again. In close elections, all it might take to swing some races would be a last-minute censoring of 10 to 20% of online conservative get-out-the-vote messages so they don't ever reach the public. Now, the limousine liberal billionaires behind these social media companies need to learn that if they don't start behaving like responsible, nonpartisan public utilities, they may well face the prospect of their monthly printing sites actually becoming public utilities where they're going to be compelled to serve the entire public. Left, right, are in the middle. Let's hope they do. Well, we love to get your questions, and we have some from your views uh, and viewers tonight. Let's consider some news that comes to us that you have wanted this address. This comes from Peter in Mississippi. He asked, does President Trump leaving Vietnam without a North Korean deal have any impact on our trade negotiations with China? Well, Peter, the answer is yes, it does, and I'll tell you how. China watched this very closely, and one of the things they saw was that this is a president who as much as he loves to get a deal, and he does, he's also a president that you could say it this way, Trump ain't no chump. And when he sees that he's being pushed, he simply stands up and walks away. It's a real lesson to the Chinese. They're not dealing with somebody who is necessarily going to give them what they want if what they want isn't good for America. That's what he did with North Korea and what China saw, it's what he will do with them. Look for things to get better in the negotiating terms with China and things to change with North Korea. Now, until next time, thanks for your thoughts and questions on the facts of the matter. Well, back in 2008, some folks in Nashville said, you know what's missing on radio? A philosophical and theological variety show. Hmm. Sounds a little highbrow, but it's actually an incredible program that considers God, humanity, grace, and joy through music, comedy, poetry, and much more. Hey, but don't take my word for it. Take a look for yourself and the one and only Tokens Show. Tokens Show is the world's only theological variety show, which sounds like a horrific endeavor, but it turns out that it's a beautiful, compelling, wonderful performance art uh, series in Nashville, Tennessee, where we bring all sorts of people together from all walks of life who have something of goodwill to say about a topic that's important for us to be talking about. It's got a lot of variety show elements like any other show does, but I, I think it always has a theme, and that theme changes from show to show. So it's always a little bit of a different theme that's sort of holding everything together, that everything latches on to. We've tried to make it a place where we talk about stuff that matters, and we want to talk about it in a way where people from a variety of perspectives can hear what's being said. The world is troubled, right? And I think one of the reasons that it is really troubled is that we don't take the time to like really talk with each other. But this show brings people together from all different walks of life so we can have a dialogue to discuss things. And I think that's the, that's the thing that we need to uh, affect healing, you know, in this country. So one of the things that makes conversations about challenging topics disarming is the use of music and comedy and satire. <laughs> bringing me on board, uh, I said, you know, I really don't want to do uh, an entertainment for any specific group. If we can't create something, then anybody that walks into the room is going to feel welcome and engaged and uh, brought into the experience. That's what I want to be involved with. Well, the one on the right was on the left, and the one in the middle was 
on the right and the one on the left was in the middle and the guy in the rear was a Methodist. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that walked away and said, you know, that really wasn't for me. Most people come and, and are pretty delighted to find what they do at Tokens. We want people to take seriously the possibility that they individually and that they in their communities uh, can sow seeds of justice and peacemaking and mercy and hospitality in the world. If you'd like to join Lee Camp and the incredible cast of The Token Show for a live performance, they just happen to have a show coming up March the 8th right here in Nashville featuring Audrey Assad, Fernando Ortega, a pre-show art exhibit, and a VIP pre-show panel catered by my favorite restaurant in Hendersonville, Cafe Rocca. Now, to learn more or to get tickets, go to tokensshow.com. That's tokensshow.com. Hey, Keith, why don't you tell us what we got coming up? Because I know it's good. I oh, know it, it is. is. Well, coming up, author and worship leader Darlene Chet talks and the golden thread, a powerful musical performance. Huckabee will be right back. Welcome back to the show. I'm so excited because my next guest is an acclaimed singer, pastor, speaker, and composer of such beloved church music like Shout to the Lord, one of my favorite worship songs ever. I love her music, but I've loved just watching her countenance and joy when she's led in worship. And when she faced a life-threatening cancer scare, it inspired her to help others in crisis with a brand new book called The Golden Thread. All the way from the land down under of Australia, would you please join me in welcoming Darlene Check? Wow. It is such a genuine joy to have you. Thank you for coming and being here. What a joy. It's an honor, absolute honor to be with you and this amazing band. They are and terrific, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah. They are great. Thanks, guys. So good. Thank you. The title of your new book, mm -hmm. The Golden Thread. What, is, yeah. what does that mean? What is a golden thread? Okay, so the golden thread came from, um, actually a friend of ours pointed it out, that it's a Japanese art form that mends broken pieces of pottery with gold. So rather than trying to hide broken things, mm. it brings it out as something to be really treasured and to watch the breaks and to marvel that the piece could come back together rather than it be left in tatters. And, you know, the golden thread, I, in, I thought about it as far as the presence of God goes and that, you know, through all of our weaknesses and brokenness and all of those things, it's God uses us all. You went through cancer a few yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. what, what was the biggest moment that you just said, God, I can't handle this anymore? Just one day I thought, I, I don't know that I'm going to make this. And I just fell on my knees by my bed, between my bed and the wall, so no one would see me. Mm. Just, you know, I lifted my hands up to heaven, and I'm like, God, I yield myself. You know, whether I live or die, I'm actually gonna, I am determined that I'm gonna give you glory. And, you know, help me be a good example for my children in this, because mm. I wanna teach my children how we do this. And, um, you know, that wasn't easy. I wasn't like that every day. <laughs> Some days I'm like, this just, is not good. So it wasn't and that your circumstance changed? The circumstance changed. It wasn't like changed. you just said, I'm well, I go to the doctor, everything's <laughs> yeah. cleared up. Nothing like that. No. You changed. God changed. changed inside of you. Something happened. It's like heaven exploded in my heart in a new mm. way. Yeah. You know, one of the songs in particular that, that you mm -hmm. wrote, and is probably sung as an anthem all over mm -hmm. the world, literally all over the world in every language, is a song you wrote that, one of my favorites, Shout to the Lord. Yeah. How did that come to you? My two daughters were little. We had a business that wasn't working. We had no money. We were kind of full-time in ministry, but you know. And I just remember a big bill coming in and it just about tipped me over the edge. And I just went to the piano and um, between Psalm 96 and Psalm, 90, and Psalm 100, you'll find Shout to the Lord. 
And I just sit, sat and literally worshipped God and in about 20 minutes that song fell out. 20 minutes? I didn't even really, I can't claim to have written it. It just came out and I didn't play it to anyone for a little while and then played it to our worship pastor at the time and he said, I think this is a really good song. You know, we ought to have you do a chorus of it or something with Trey and the band. <laughs> you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Trey, sweet Trey. <laughs> my Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. Do the chorus? Absolutely. Sing it with me. Yeah. Shout to the Thank you. God bless you. Yeah. Thank Jesus. Darling, check. You're so good. The book is called The Golden Thread, Experiencing God's Presence in Every Season of Life. You can find it at Amazon, other top booksellers all over the world. You can also read a free sample chapter and find out about Darlene's music and ministry at DarleneCheck.com. Now, I suggest you get the spelling off the screen because it is not like what you think it is. <laughs> so right. look at it on the screen and write it down so you can get to the right website. And uh, I want Keith to tell the audience what's coming up next. It's pretty special. Boy, it sure is. Next, Darlene Check returns to sing Daylight. We'll be back in a minute, so stay tuned. She is an acclaimed music composer, author, and worship leader with songs like Shout to the Lord and Worthy is the Lamb. Her music connects us to God and His many blessings. Here to sing Daylight from her latest album, Here I Am, Send Me, please make welcome Darlene Check. Thank you. 
surround. 